0: Welcome to another edition of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, and welcome to a shortened work week here. Although the work is never short here at Elevate Your Grind, we just don't do any of it. We come on the uh, internet every once in a while and we talk to you folks, and that's a hell of a job that I have right there. Uh, we've got some awesome episodes coming up. We're going to slow things down. We got super aggressive there doing like four five, six shows a week. Um, that's a lot of work. So we're going to slow things down. We've got a library of about 76, 78 episodes, something like that for you guys to enjoy. You can check those out, youtube.com slash elevateyourgrind. The whole library is there. Make sure you subscribe. Um, We're going to slow them down to about one live episode a week. We're going to be coming out with two of our recorded episodes a week. We've got a backlog of about 18 of them for you guys, so definitely something to check out. Some awesome ones coming up. Um, next week, or actually at the end of this week, we're going to be talking to Shada Tarabi of the To Be Blunt podcast. Um, when I was doing my due diligence with Jeremy Jacobs, Shada, uh, I checked out her, um, I checked out her podcast. I really enjoyed it. So after that, I figured let her and I get on together and, and BS a little bit for you and see what happens when we bring two podcast hosts together. After that, we're going to bring back our friends, David and Eric Ron from Seed to Sale Insurance. They'll be on September 15th. And then on September 22nd, we have Lawrence Horowitz of Entourage Effect Capital. You saw Cody way back at the beginning of this podcast. Now check out Lawrence. He is one of the youngest people there. And I'm really interested to hear about someone who went straight from college directly to investing in cannabis without passing and without collecting 200 bucks. Well. On the topic today, because I suck at transition, so I'm going to take that natural transition, we have one of the original investment funds in the cannabis space with us today. Uh, the gentleman today, we've met in passing like hundreds of times at different conferences. We've never actually sat down and spoke to each other. I've seen panels he's done. Um, I've only done a few, so maybe he's seen one or two of mine, but I'm actually excited that instead of just shaking hands, saying hi, like we usually do. We're actually going to be able to sit down and talk. Please welcome the president and co-founder of Trust Capital, David Hess. David, thanks for joining me, man.
1: Thank you, Todd. And thank you for all the contributions that you're making to our industry. It's, uh, so important. And, uh, although we haven't met in person, I I am a fan of the podcast. I mean, we haven't sat down and spoke at length in person. I am a huge fan of the podcast. And, uh, Everything that you do for the industry. So again, thank you for that. Thought.
0: Thank you. I, I'm glad that people are a fan of me getting to do something that I love to do. Um, I get to sit down and talk to everybody who's shaping this industry. This is this is second nature for me, man. I love doing this, and I will continue to do it. I hope that conversations like this will actually open up. I'm not looking to actually target our industry. I'm looking to target everybody outside of our industry to say, hey. Come look at us, look what we're doing, we're doing great out there, and your story is actually in line with that, right? Um, so not to just jump in with both feet, but you know there are many people who approach this industry. everybody in the industry is passionate, and there's two camps. there are people who had experience with cannabis, and there are also the people who had some kind of tragedy that brought them into this industry. Um, you know, can you give us a little bit of your backstory with cannabis, right? I think it's a it's an incredible story that a lot of people need to
1: hear. Absolutely. So, as you mentioned, you know, I you know, I'm originally from LA, and so you know, I, although I was introduced to the the benefits of medical cannabis uh, while undergoing cancer treatment, unfortunately. At Sloan Kettering uh, here in New York in uh, 2000, and then again 2002. Um, you know, I I was actually you know one of those uh, one of those uh, early early advocates uh, for Prop 215. As a senior in high school, I was gathering signatures as a part time job, um, and so really my relationship with cannabis uh, goes back a long, a long ways. But as I mentioned, I was diagnosed uh, with synovial sarcoma back in 2000. And yeah, the only oncologist that would really give me a chance at survival uh, was here in New York at Sloan Kettering. And I was able to medicate with cannabis uh, really throughout the first bout. Um, I, was, I had a surgery and then I had about eight weeks of, uh, of radiation. And so medicating with cannabis uh, you know, was fine. Uh, it was really my second bout, and that kept me in the hospital for better portion of a year. And I really wasn't able to get out of bed at a certain point. And medicating with cannabis, uh, you know, outside of slum catering with with friends and family was just uh, you know went out the window. And um, what was interesting was that you know there I was, I was twenty two, so I was relatively young, but you know I was on a pediatric floor, so I was the adult uh, on the floor. And it, it, it sucked, you know, my, my roommates and yeah, you have roommates unless, you know, once in a while I got really sick and had to be isolated. But for the most part um, I had roommates and they were real young. They were like five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And unfortunately I say it plural uh, because, and I usually get choked up, you know, they, they, uh, they weren't going home, Todd, they they were going somewhere else. And the, the amount of pain that I experienced you know, myself and then and then witnessed uh with with my roommates was just unbearable. And it got to the point, as I mentioned, I, I couldn't get out of bed uh myself and wasn't eating, I was getting depressed and by nature I'm someone that, that likes to uh give. I'm a giver. I, I like to help and I was on the other side of that, right? When when someone's Uh, in bed like that and really immobile their, their takers. And it was, uh, it was something new to me and something I, I, it was really hard for me to accept. And it just messed with my brain, messed with my head. And in addition to, to the physical pain that I was experiencing and I just wanted to just to end it. I said, you know, I said to my oncologist one day, I said, you know, I remember when you told me you were going to bring me to the brink of death. And I even remember, you know, signing off on it, but I don't know if I believed you fully. And now you've taken me to the point where I believe you. And this is starting to feel a little bit too close to suicide than it is healing. And yeah. I, I, I want it to end. And I, I luckily, someone handed me an article about Marinol, of all things, right? Um, and at that point, obviously, aside from maybe the occasional brownie that someone would bake, you know, this is back in 2002. Uh, there, there really weren't tinctures on the market or, or mints or any of these great things we yeah. can take today, sort of lying in a hospital bed. Uh, it was either smoke or, like I said, you know, you have a brownie that someone would make and who knows what that would do and how often some, someone would bring it by, right? Um, and so there, there I was with my, my article on Marinol and I sort of defiantly gave it to my oncologist and said, here, if you prescribe me Marinol, I'll stay, right? And, and they looked at me and they said, you know, okay, you know, we haven't, we haven't prescribed it yet. In fact, I don't think the pharmacy in house has it, but let's see if there's a place in Manhattan that does. And sure enough, you know, there was one place that had Marinol and within an hour of me, you know, of me uh, taking that cannabis pill. I was laughing again, and I was telling jokes to my nurses and asking my friends to come by for Monday night football and bring wings. And they were like, "Wings? What? You know, like you're not eating?" And I said, "Well, well, I am." And they said, "Well, it can't be. I just saw you yesterday, and you were on your deathbed." And I said, "Well, that part hasn't changed, but I don't care anymore. You know, I'm, I'm okay to, you know, whatever they want to give me, I'm good." And that was because of the Marinol. And there I was. You know, like literally, like watching movies and having munchies, like I said, and and it just—it was a paradigm shift for me. It, it 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 was why a why does this work, right? And coming from LA, I understood what you know we had these medicinal cannabis laws in effect uh, since 1996, although that that really wasn't you know what was going on, right? It was a way for people essentially to cultivate and distribute. You know, to, to adult use, you know, cannabis users with without, hopefully yeah. without going to jail. Um, and sometimes that, that wasn't even the case, right? Um, it was real, real great. And so, you know, for me, uh, there I was, like I said, as a patient and really had this paradigm shift and really thought to myself, there was medical efficacy here. Um, and maybe there is such a you know there there is something to this medicinal cannabis right and so I wanted to learn as much as I could and so thankfully at that point we had Google and I was looking up uh, you know uh, anybody that was doing you know any kind of experimentation or study or white paper on cannabis and started learning about uh, all the different cannabinoids obviously we know now right it's it's much more than THC and CBD right yeah. there's there's hundred plus cannabinoids we've got flavonoids we've got terpenes we've got the entourage effect full spectrum broad spectrum all these different you know terms and 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 molecules and, and you know i wanted to understand as much as i could and so you know thank you to to the bonnie goldsteins of the world and to the ethan russo's that would take my call back then and and uh take the time to really explain things to me and uh you know it, it, it's really a, a, such an amazing, amazing plant that, that everyone should have access to. And yeah, that for me was, was just, um, you know, what really drives my passion and, uh, hopefully, you know, it, it, it will help highlight the credibility and the validity that, that cannabis has. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you for not for cannabis.
0: It's an incredible story. And the fact that so many of these stories have happened, you know, I said earlier, I've done 78 episodes of this podcast, and I would probably say 50% of the people who come on have a story not about themselves, but about somebody, a family member with them, right? And yep. it's incredible to me that these stories are not being broadcast more, that there's not a collection of them somewhere that we can just hand to to legislators and say, no, here's proof. Here's proof that it works. And these are some de- debilitating diseases that you as a government are pumping money into research on, and you're refusing to do this cannabis thing because of so many different reasons. I mean, I can get on a soapbox all day long about this, but- you know, your proof right then and there. Now, let me ask you a personal question. I had, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Dr. Oladar uh, Odomasu from Zalira Therapeutics on, on the podcast last episode. And we were talking about cannabis for cancer treatment. And, you know, we had basically said that a lot of times it, it actually just kind of improves quality of life. It, it doesn't exactly attack the virus. Now, I've since learned that that could be different. Actually, an interview that you did, I, I learned that. But when at the time, do you think the Marinol was just kind of making your journey easier, or was it actually helping with the cancer itself?
1: So you know, did the did the Marinol contribute? You know, in a apoptosis sort of way, and have you know, ironically, the, the cancer kill itself and, and commit suicide? Uh, you know, as I mentioned, that that's kind of the way I was feeling. The chemo was, yeah. was doing to me. Um, I don't know, right? We, you know, unfortunately. Uh, our government for for too long wasn't letting the scientists study the positive effects of cannabis they would they would pay for them to do negative stories right and, and the negative effects of cannabis that can be funded but on the positive side they were not funding it what we do know is that since the 90s since the late mid to late 90s uh, they were doing trials in places like Israel with humans, right? They've been studying cannabinoids and cannabis since the sixties, thanks to Dr. Mishulam uh, and his team. But real studies with humans, yeah, they've been happening, and uh, and and it has been proven. Certain strains um, have been proven to cause apoptosis. So I think we're we're a ways away until um, you know until we've got better. Uh, better studies done, uh, wider studies done, peer-reviewed studies done, and, and we get to a point where we're using you know cannabis or even cannabis as, as an ingredient to, uh, to either treat or even cure cancers. Um, obviously it's not the, the first, uh, you know, the first channel that, that people look to um, when they get sick, but certainly, uh, it's a channel people should be incorporating into their routine because we don't know. Uh, we do have a lot of, you know, anecdotal stories, like you said. Um, and uh, I believe that, that the government does know it, that they, and they know that there's efficacy here. Um, and that's why they've got patents and all that. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's a matter of when they want to adopt uh, cannabis, uh, reality, you know, um, and come around, but, um, it's, it's, we're, I don't think we're, we're that far away from saying that. And then once we do, uh, then we'll see the changes when it comes to studies and we'll see, uh, I, I believe we will get to the point where cannabis will prove to be in fact, a cancer killer and a cancer cure. Um, whether it did that for me, I don't know, but 100%, as I mentioned, without the cannabis, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be here because I would have stopped two rounds into chemo. Right. Um, and then as far as, you know, uh, uh controlling pain, for example, even today, all these years out, um, I, the cancer for me was located in my foot, Re- weird area for, for it to, to be found. In fact, synovial sarcoma, a lot of times will present. Uh, maybe in the thigh or, or someplace like that. And thankfully for me, because um, you, you don't really see or feel it, um, unless, like it happened for me, it happened to be growing on a nerve. So it was growing on a nerve right under my foot. So if I wasn't literally standing on it, right, I wouldn't have known. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that to use uh, to use cannabis as an adjunct, like, like I've been doing uh, – for my pain treatment, I mean, after two surgeries in a foot, there's not much left, right? Think about it. They scoop out, you know, uh, some part of your foot, especially like right on the bottom. Foot's not that big to begin with. And so, um, you know, they, they give me literally 300 pills of opiates a month to control my pain. And I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't be able to function if I were taking that to control my pain. And that's how they expect me to do it. And so if it weren't for cannabis, that might be my only option or lie in bed. I don't know. And and that's not acceptable either. And so, uh, with, with cannabis, I'm able to take, you know, literally if if I take a hundred of those a month, you know, it's because I was doing a lot of walking or or a lot of exercising or something. And to be able to take 30% less of what I'm prescribed for, for, for pain, I, I think that that's very, very special. And, um, I'm really looking forward to, to all the different studies that, that uh, are going to be done you know, in the future. There are great studies being done now, um, but uh, in the near future, once we open this up here in, in, in North America, we're, we're going to see a whole lot more. But for now, we, we're, we're going to have to rely on our friends in Israel and, and other places to, to keep studying
0: and, and, and informing the rest of us. You know, uh, I'm not sure if you realize this, but for someone who has pain in their foot, New York is not the best choice of cities to live in. (laughs) (laughs) We could probably get that pill usage down a little bit more if we got you somewhere where you'd be driving more. But, you know, I, I try to make a joke out of it. But I imagine, you know, going back to that scenario, especially being in the pediatric unit, just your change of mood and you becoming more positive and That you almost became a role model for a lot of the kids that were in those units right you know when you're a little kid and you see someone even though 22 23 you think you know that you kind of i don't want to say idolize them but you look up to them and especially you being there and going from i don't want to call you mopey or anything else like that but someone who is depressed and on the verge uh, on death's door and just when that, that flips the switch flipped and you had Marinol that it was a positive influence on, on everybody else. And then seeing that I can only imagine the spirits, it, you prescribing you that ju- drug probably changed the outlook from an entire unit of the hospital. Right. You 100%. know, and I think that's incredible.
1: 100%. And that's really what drives my passion. I want to make cannabis available for everyone, right? Whether it's medical patients, whether it's those that choose, you know, to to consume cannabis, you know, um, after work, before bed, whatever it may be, uh, it's a plant. Uh, it's a sustainable plant. It's great for the environment. It, it's it's great for for so many reasons. And there's such a tremendous impact that this one plant has on uh, you know globally that uh, you know it, it's about time we're we're you know paying some serious attention, uh, to cannabis. And, uh, I'm thrilled that we, that we actually have a cannabis industry now and this, this sector that that's thriving. And, um, really, I I think 10 years from now, there's going to be, uh, so much advancement on on the medicinal side, really on every side on the industrial use of industrial hemp and, and everything. I think that, you know, we're going to look back, uh, you know, at the 70 or so years that, that cannabis was sort of put on the back burner and uh, demonized as a, as a really dark point in in our our history as humans, right?
0: Kids in the future are going to look back and they're going to be talking about some new substance and be like, oh, that's not going to work. Be like, yeah, that's what you guys said about cannabis all that time back then. Right. I want to transition back because i can sit here and i just want to run with the israel thing the economy thing everything that cannabis can do and we can talk for hours on that but your entrepreneurial journey to me is awesome right because you know you went into this nascent industry with no history of finance and you are now sitting at the top of one of the premier funds in the industry so not only have you are, is your cancer story inspiring and your passion for cannabis inspiring? But just the relentlessness that you went after doing what you wanted to do is also inspiring. And I'm hoping that a lot of people can watch this and, and, and learn from your story, right? So, you know, you had that experience, you've been an advocate, you, you came from LA, and then all of a sudden now, you know, cannabis is legal. How did you first dip your toes into the cannabis industry? Because I know early, early on, it wasn't very easy to get into because it wasn't that big. That's
1: right. Uh, Great, great question. It's it's such a good story. So in 2000, well, 2010, right. uh, I get a call and what I was doing at the time is I was actually manufacturing reflective safety apparel. Okay. So I was making collars for pets, right. That were reflective. Uh, So if you're up early and, and, and jogging or walking your pet, uh, your dog primarily um, early in the morning or, or late at night and there's low visibility. Uh, you can ensure that, that uh, you wouldn't be hit or if the dog were to get loose, uh, God forbid that the dog wouldn't be hit. Right. And then I started making uh, reflective apparel for joggers with, you know, licenses uh, from, from most sports teams. And so it was real fun. Um, and, and some entertainment licenses as well. So it was a lot of fun for kids uh, to start, being safe, right? No one wants to put on a helmet or elbow pads and, and, and all that stuff. But if a kid can put on, you know, their favorite sports team or, or their favorite character from, from a cartoon or whatever as a reflective slap wrap, they'll do it, right? And so I was yeah. doing that for a little bit. And uh, interestingly enough, it, it also a, a long story, I actually was manufacturing for um, most branches of the military, uh, they, I didn't know this when I started, but uh, the military requires everyone to wear the exact same reflective belt that I was making for runners uh, and for people walking their pets during PT. And so I started getting these uh, orders from like forward operating bases, in Kandahar, and all over the place. I'm like, what is going on? Uh, and so I researched a little bit and realized, all right, so just change the packaging and I've got a reflective PT belt and was selling it for significantly less than, than competitors were. And so I was doing that for a bit and all of a sudden I get a call from a good friend of mine one day and he says, oh, I'm working for these two ladies who were, you know, they, they won a cannabis license in New Jersey and they have absolutely zero experience when it comes to cannabis and the two groups that they have brought in to fund the project were denied right uh for whatever reasons uh the local government there was saying no um and so he said i'm pretty sure that that with your background uh and network out west you can bring in the operational you know expertise necessary and i think you've got the the you know between yourself and 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 some of your high net worth friends, you guys could bring in the funding that this would require. And so I started digging in a little bit more. And you was right; they they had no clue how to run a cannabis business, and they had no money. And so uh, we came in and uh, very quickly uh, developed uh, you know that project, which today is uh, Harmony Dispensary uh, in Secaucus, in New Jersey. And after that project was done, I had several high net worth friends, mostly the ones I, I didn't tap for that project, call me up and say, hey, you know, I wanted to get in on that. And I said, all right, listen, there's plenty of other opportunity. This is super early. This industry is just about to get started. And sure enough, at that time, that's when, if you remember back in like 2010, 2011, that's when like NCIA and, you know, MJ biz and some of these other associations were just, just getting off the ground. And so I was, you know, one of the early members at most of these associations and organizations and would travel to, to all the different conferences. And, and it wasn't that difficult. I'm a natural networker. I'm a people person and, and to, and I was super curious, right. About all things cannabis. And so yeah, any, and you know, to have, maybe 300 people was like the max at some of these events. Right. And the booths were super elementary. It was just like, you know, a table with, with, you know, a tablecloth and and some brochures right back then. And, and I was able to, to really grow uh, with the nucleus of the industry, excuse the pun. And so I had all these different uh, opportunities, right on the sidelines and I was doing some diligence and I understood real well what I was looking at. But as you said, I don't have a finance background. I am an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember. Uh, And, um, you know, as a medical patient that found uh, efficacy with cannabis and as somebody that was very close to uh, the legacy market back back in L.A., I had all these different, you know, sort of glasses that I was looking and, and seeing the industry through, but never thought of myself... As, as an investor right and, and again because I just don't have a finance background um, and slowly these high net worth friends of mine started asking me well well you've got these great deals you're telling me about Are are you doing any more deals And I said well you know really my vision here is to build something that looks like any other investment management firm on Wall Street for any other sector. You know if one thing if I'm taking my money and 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 one or two buddies you know capital and putting it to work. but if I'm gonna really you know either form a fund or manage uh, capital, it had to be done right. Um, the same way I knew that if we were building out a cultivation in New Jersey, it had to be done you know not like a scaled up basement grow, right? It had to be done fully automated. It was under the noses of the pharmaceutical industry in Jersey and the same way, right I, if we were doing this on the East coast, uh, in New York on wall street, this had to look like any other sector. Um, and that's what would provide validity, um, and credibility to the investment community. Uh, and so that's exactly what I did. I brought in, um, through some mutual friends, I was introduced to the gentleman who's my partner today, Asher Trophy, who for about a decade was on wall street and his philosophy, believe it or not, I, I, did not know what an impact investor was. Right. Okay. I understood, you know, I said, well, why do you want to, to do this with me? And he said, I like to make money by doing good. Right. Uh, it's as simple as that. You know, he, he didn't have, um, you know, a cancer story or someone he knew, uh, but you know, with, with cancer or, or somebody that was you know using cannabis for, for medicinal purposes, but it was just as simple as that for him. He saw this as what I know now as, uh, an impact investing environment, and um, for so many different reasons. And so, in two, thir- in about twenty thirteen, that's that's when we started Tress. and it's a you know combination of his last name and my last name. Some people confuse it with trees. It's it's Tress. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's Tropian Hess. And um, that's that's exactly what we did. We brought in people that you know really had institutional backgrounds um, and the kind of experience that investors on Wall Street were used to. And um, that's what we did. We, we, We started investing early on into companies that had operators that we were friendly with for a little bit. So one example would be Headset, right? So we've known yeah. uh, the guys at Headset when, when they were still at Leafly, right? And when they were selling uh, to privateer, they had a little bit of time that they had to, to stick with them until they could leave and start something new. And once they did, we were, we were right there with them. And, uh, um, you know, we've moved since then from maybe seed capital investing more to, to growth now with kind of with the maturity of the industry, right? Because that's really been our philosophy. We want to, ensure that that operators and and businesses having a a real impact first and foremost on the industry itself uh and then on society at large but having a real impact on the industry are are well funded and well supported and so for us that meant you know data like a headset right and certainly when when nielsen uh and others invested with them you know a couple years later that that offered the, the validity and credibility. Not that we needed that, but it was nice to see, right, um, that we made a good bet. And and certainly you see them today really, really thriving as far as uh, data goes. And um, some others, uh, you know, like a baker, which is today part of Tild, which is really, you know, helping create customer loyalty and, and, all, you know, Cannabis Now, a media company that that's providing channels for for, for cannabis operators to, to really create a brand when there aren't too many traditional channels available yeah. to them. Uh, and what's cool about that is we were able to parlay that into retail, similar to what Elle Magazine did with Elle Decor. Uh, we were able to, to uh, take Cannabis Now's uh, expertise uh, and reach and open a store for them really at the heart of Los Angeles, right, where L.A. and, and Beverly Hills converge. Um, for, for your audience that, that's familiar with that area, it's at the corner of the Beverly Connection on 3rd and La Cienega. And so it's it, it couldn't be more of a normal-looking retail store in a normal place <laughs> um, that, you know, just, just again, it's that credibility for cannabis. Um, and, and it allows, you know, consumers that may not, venture into a dispensary just yet because they're a little intimidated or for whatever the reason may be, uh, especially if they're only looking for a CBD product, uh, where do they turn? Where do they go? Right. There's, there's e-commerce certainly, but if they want to walk into a store where there's experts that can really walk them through everything from cosmetic, you know, to, to pet care, to, to personal care and everything in between, uh, containing hemp and CBD, um, there needed to be a, a place for that, and so that's what we've done with cannabis now. And so, you know, really, the thesis for us is is all about impact, and 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 like my partner, you know, uh, you know, really lives for right, doing well by doing good, and um, yeah, that that's what really drives me at Truss, and I think like you hit on it's the resilience factor, the grit that a I've experienced. As as a cancer survivor, a cancer patient, cancer survivor, um, as someone that lives through pain, right, every single day, that that takes quite a bit of grit to just to get through the day, um, and as uh, as an entrepreneur, right, um, you cannot be a successful entrepreneur without a, a a good amount of resilience and grit, and so it helps me recognize those character traits in in the operators that. Uh, that manage the businesses that, that we look at on a daily basis. And uh, it really informs me, right? I mean, there are so many businesses doing relatively the same thing, right, in, in our industry. It's a new industry. Um, so you might have I – might, I might see hundreds of decks, you know, in a month of literally the exact same type yeah. of business. So what is going to differentiate that from the other? It's going to be the operator. It's going to be, you know, have they endured – an experience in the past that, you know, that has, that proves their ability to pivot that proves out their grit and their resilience. Cause as you know, Todd, things don't go, <laughs> you know, the way we plan typically. Right. I mean, look at 2020, who would have oh, thought yeah. this was going to come. I mean, so if you don't have that in your DNA, um, then you might need uh, to have that, you know, real, that story that gets you into cannabis. Cause without that, without that passion or without being, you know, a true impact investor or without, you know, for, for one reason or another wanting to see that validity play out with cannabis and you don't have that grit and resilience, it, it's going to be really tough uh, to, 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 to do well in this industry. It's not as simple and it's not as easy as some people, you know, think it's going to be when, when they enter the cannabis industry. It, it's very, very complicated. It's very compliance heavy. It's very regulatory heavy. Um, and uh, you see it. I think, you know, not everybody that's invested in cannabis has done well. I think our track record yeah. speaks for itself. Um, and that's because again, we look for the greater impact and, and not, not to say that, um, you know, a, a, any you know business that, that doesn't have that impact, won't be profitable and, and be a good investment. There 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 are plenty of those. Uh, but for us at Trust, again, we just especially at the at the onset of this industry, it was super important for us to ensure that the legs of the industry were properly supported.
0: You know, I think you and your partner are a phenomenal fit together. And I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, but I've, I've looked at my fair share of investment funds and to have someone with that traditional Wall Street background paired with a true operator, someone who, you know, has been in the captain's chair in a lot of businesses and you've been, you know, you, you've, you've got your hands dirty. I think a lot of investors, when they don't have that experience, they can look at a company and miss something. You know, miss something special in the operator or the management team or the business plan, whatever it is, because they look at everything from very macro, high level of view as an outsider looking in. Whereas you can kind of might be able to catch that little sparkle of something that your partner may miss, and vice versa. There might be something where he's like, "Listen, I've seen this a hundred times; it never works out," and you're just passionate about it. And I think that natural compliment. I love what you said about the impact investing. I had someone as a friend of mine that I talked to and she had exited a company um, and she'd done very well, extremely liberal person. And she said, Todd, I can do two things. I can donate my money to charity and hope they take part of it and do some good with the world. Or I can just take my money and directly give it to companies that are doing good in the world and actually make a living while doing that as well too. So I chose the latter and I don't think there's anything wrong with that type of investing, we look at Wall Street, especially in today's climate, and Wall Street is villainized, right? But I'd like people to understand that Wall Street is not the Wall Street of the 80s and 90s. It's not all Gordon Geckos doing, you know, we'll call it water skiing behind all their yachts. There are people out there that are trying to make sure that money goes to the right companies that have an impact focus that are doing well for the world. I mean, you know, we look at this industry alone, and now we can come all the way back. We did the flashback to your, to your career here, and we talk about all these things that this plant can do for us going forward. Um, I'm actually going to use a direct quote that you said. I, I don't remember the article, but it says, cannabis is one of those few sectors that governments can identify where, with the flick of a switch, revenue and employment can be found which is incredible. And I think you even said the conservative estimates say that in the state of New York, if they were to go adult use, it would be about a billion dollars in revenue.
1: And we've seen it in Chicago. We've seen it now in California. It's not a fake number. It's
0: real. Yeah. So we're on the verge of what could potentially be another recession or depression, or we don't even know what it's going to be because everything has been propped up by the government until now. Like You said 2020 has been crazy. Do you think, in your honest opinion, you're in New York, and do you think the legislators are finally going to take a look and say, oh, shit, they're looking over the cliff, and they're like, we're going to go over that. Maybe we should finally take a look at this cannabis stuff because, like you said, Colorado, California, Illinois, they are making revenue, and we need to get – at least let them be greedy enough to say, we need our piece of the pie so the rest of us can benefit. Yeah we've gotten close in
1: New York a number of times uh, within the past year, there was one point where it was almost inevitable. And if they had figured out, you know, where some of these tax dollars would have gone to uh, and agreeably and, and the social equity program, I think we'd, we would already have that in play right now. Uh, unfortunately between New York and some of the neighboring States, they, they weren't able to, you know, really, really get that together. And so that's what we're seeing the delay right now. Um, but it's a delay. It, it's, it's inevitable. And yeah, with, with the, with the 7 billion plus, and, and now it's w- well higher than that, because I don't think anyone expected, uh, you know, it, it you know, it to last this long, but if you look at New York city and, and San Francisco and other major cities. I mean, uh, they're hurting, they're hurting bad, uh, especially on those tax dollars. Um, and so there aren't, many other options now certainly a billion dollars isn't going to you know uh replace that shortfall but it's better than nothing and oh yeah about the jobs i mean we're we're you know i saw uh, a report recently that we're close to three hundred thousand jobs in the cannabis industry and i think they compare that to like computer programmers right i mean we all know computer programmers out there i mean you know believe that 300,000 jobs are available in cannabis today, I mean, that's, that's very impressive. And it's very significant. And at a point where millions and millions of of people around the globe, lost employment and are going to have to won't won't be able to return to to what they were doing before, under these new circumstances, uh, cannabis may really be an option for them. And so it's it's truly one of the most sustainable uh, crops there is on, on every level. I don't know
0: of a more sustainable crop. I, I think what's most impressive about it, digging into what you said a little bit further, is 300,000 jobs when it's not in every state yet. And in the states that it is in, it's not even close to maturity. I mean, take my state, for example. I'm down here in Florida. We have, what, 30 million people in the state and we have 14 cannabis companies right now. Now, granted, we have Cureleaf and trueleaf which are two of the biggest in the industry, but you know, the, there's not that many direct cannabis jobs down here in Florida. Um, and there will be. There will be a ton when it reaches maturity. So we're at 300,000 jobs with a significant handicap. And then the, the other point of it that I also like to make, I'm really just playing off the points that you made at this point, um, is that it's bringing back Blue collar jobs. It's not. Listen, computer programming is great, and it's definitely something that people need to study and understand. But if you're a truck driver, if you're a factory worker, if you're a retail employee, a service uh, industry professional, and you lose your job, there's a learning curve for you to go become a computer programmer. You've got to go back to school. You've got to take classes. Maybe you can learn it on YouTube and Google. But you can go work in a dispensary, or you can figure out how to work in a grow. They'll teach you pretty easily or you know you could be a delivery driver there are blue collar jobs that are coming back but there are also those white collar high tech jobs too it is a great industry and i i truly believe it will be the resurgence because you and i when we look at this industry right now the mature part of it is medical cannabis and adult use there's still industrial hemp there's still the deep scientific side of the medical industry when we look at medical cannabis It's adult use cannabis used for medical purposes. And I don't mean to shit on it, but it's just that they haven't had the ability to do proper R&D. There's a comedian, Ron White, and he's got a great bit when he says, yeah, they've come out with medical cannabis and that was great because it helped get me off the illegal stuff. And he (laughs) goes, I think I'm going to – he goes, now they have adult use cannabis. I think I'm going to use that to wean myself off the medical stuff. And he just keeps going. But at the end of the day, he's kind of making the point that it's all the same. I'm really looking forward to 10, 15, 20 years from now where something like a Marinol, it has actual cannabis components to it. It's been studied. There's a uniform dose. And I think that is the future of our industry. So off my little rant here, we're at a point in time where those are the two sides of the industry. Do you think what we see today is actually only going to be a small corner of what we'll see 10, 15 years from now?
1: A hundred percent. And not too many people speak about that, you know, or, or want to publicly, you know, make their opinion known or take a side. I'm fine with it. There, there are two very distinct channels. Okay. There's the medicinal side and then there's the adult, maybe even three. Then there's the, the adult use side. And then there's the industrial side, right? Um, The industrial side, primarily going to be using hemp of course, uh, for for fibers for for you know all types of, of product and on the adult use side we'll just continue to to, to keep using cannabis as we've been using it but now they'll be um, they'll be you know testing we'll know that it's safe to take um, it'll be dosed a little bit better there'll be more options uh, there'll be you know tinctures beverages other form you know formats for 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 people to to you know, try to, to to be either introduced or reintroduced to cannabis in a new way, um, and and that's very exciting. But as you said, on the pharma on the pharma side, the you know, it, it's 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 tough because you know we're we're used to Western medicine, right? I mean, back in the day, there were Eastern philosophies, right? It, it, you know, you you, you take. Some herbs, you put it in a tea, you feel better. And next time, if you had the same problem, you did it again. It didn't have to be the exact same dose, right? Uh, and you'd still feel better, and that was okay. With with uh, you know, now in Western medicine, I get a headache, I take an Advil. I know exactly how many milligrams on it, and we can debate about the variance from Advil to Advil. It's a lot higher than people realize, uh, and, and they're asking a lot from us on the cannabis side to keep our variance lower uh then and it is from advil to advil right but uh we're doing it right um so kudos to 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 all the science uh, well, real
0: quick let that. me let me interrupt you there real quick i i have a feel i mean the the whole dosing thing on the on the other side of it is a if you can if you dose too much of an opiate you're going to die if you dose too much of of any other medication you're going to have liver damage right If you overdose on cannabis, well, we haven't seen that yet. So, you know, if you happen to give a double or triple dose by accident, maybe someone's going to be stuck on the couch for a little bit longer, but they're not going to die or have significant organ damage. So, sorry to interrupt, but, I mean, I think a lot of people miss that point.
1: 100%. Um, And what we are going to see, though, on the pharma side is – we're going to see, we're starting to see it already, but we're going to see a lot more synthetics starting to play. like mean, talked about Marinol. Um, I'm seeing, you know, I have seen you know, quite a few operators uh, seeing more and more as well uh, that are able to produce cannabinoids, you know, from yeast and, and, and uh, in a lab, essentially, right. You're, you're producing cannabinoids at the, at a 10th, maybe, you know, pennies on the dollar, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You're producing the exact same cannabinoids. Uh, and, you know, granted, there isn't the entourage effect. It's not a full spectrum type of product. But, you know, when it comes to pharma, if if we want a specific molecule, if you're looking for CBG, for example, well, you can produce that CBG uh, in a lab in about three days versus three to four months in a field where, You'd have to produce at such scale, you know, for that minor cannabinoid that it might not even be worth it. Right. And so how is pharma going to really take off? Well, it, it, it almost has to be done through synthetic. And, and, and it's not a dirty word in our industry. It had efficacy for me uh, in Marinol. I know it doesn't have the same efficacy for everybody, but I'm living proof that it does work for some. And the more and more we, we learn about synthetics and how they work and why it works, we'll, we'll get better at it. Um, but I, I just don't see any other way that pharma is going to adopt cannabinoids unless they are, you know, consistent um, and, you know, dosable. And really that's, that can almost only be done uh, through a synthetic. And um, it's exciting to see that, that, a lot of uh, companies are, are stepping up to the plate and uh, we're seeing a lot of exciting things. We're seeing a lot of uh, capital allocated to companies like that as well. So that's really exciting. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, biotech plays a massive, massive role in our industry. And we are are just, just scraping the surface uh, when it comes to uh, the pharma side and you know, obviously we, we, we've got, um, you know, some leaders, the, the GW pharmas of the world out there uh, paving the way for everyone. But it, it's just the beginning. Right. And and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with with uh, trademarks, IP, all that. Right. Um, but uh, certainly we're going to see a lot more on the synthetic side as it relates to pharma going forward. There's no other way to do it. Um, you know, that makes sense economically. That makes sense in so many other ways. Um So again, it's it's a touchy subject uh, for some. By no means does that mean that there's going to be less of a demand, less of a need for you know phytocannabis, right? Phytocannabinoids. There's still going to be you know it's still going to be a multi-billion-dollar industry. It is already, and it will continue to thrive as a multi-billion-dollar industry. So no one should be concerned, um, uh, you know, when when they hear someone saying that that there's a place for synthetics in cannabis there 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 is a home i believe it's on the pharma side right i i don't want to you know see you know adult use type edible companies going and looking for for thc cbd cbg and 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 other uh cannabinoids um you know from synthetics i I don't love that uh or using terpenes even for that matter that aren't phytoterpenes uh, or even from cannabis i don't love that either. but there is a place for everyone. And so uh, it, it's exciting times in this industry. And for those that, that are outside of this industry that have expertise in those areas, come on in. The, the water's warm. You know, we, we'd love to have you in our industry and, and really help uh, bring forth, again, the credibility and the validity that this plan offers.
0: No, 100%. It's funny. I always joke around. The number one question a lot of people ask me, especially my friends, what stock should I buy? How should I invest in this industry? Or did I miss the boat? And I'm like, well, first of all, never ask a podcast host for for investment advice. Because if you guys see what I do, I'm the one who's learning from all the guests that are on the show. I'm certainly not doling out the information. But second of all, no, you didn't miss the boat. I'm not gonna give you a stock suggestion, but the industry that we're looking at, that's what this year is gonna be a $15 billion industry, estimated 22 next year, hasn't even captured 100% of the built in consumer base yet. The black market is still thriving and it's going to be until we fix our own market. And that's another conversation for another time, but we still haven't even captured 100% of the recreational cannabis users. Um, you know, what might be mature, I I don't even know if you can say any part of our industry has even approached maturity yet, right? We're still figuring it out. It's still growing. And then on top of that, people, there's so much more to come once R and D comes, once we can do research and development, the industry is going to, you know, grow like a weed, whatever pun you want to put in here. And I hate that our industry has so many puns. And when new people come in, they think they're hilarious because they think we haven't heard them all before. Um, you know, they say working in cannabis is like dog years. is seven years. I think listening to cannabis puns is like dog years. I've heard seven years of them in a year. Um, but it, it's funny to me that this industry is so young and there's so much potential that it, you didn't miss anything just because it's legal in, in what, 33, 38 states or anything else there. There's so much further for this industry to grow that I'm so excited that there are people like you in this industry that are, and I said this to Morgan Paxi, I said it to to Cody Sanchez, you guys get to architect this, right? And you're doing it the right way. You're bringing in people who want to invest in the industry, but you're not letting them throw money at whatever shiny object there is and whoever has the most advertising dollars, right? And I think it's cool. You guys all kind of work together behind the scenes. I'm sure from the outside looking in, people probably think, oh, once it's legal, these funds won't have a need anymore because institutional capital is going to come in. But it's actually something I learned from a conversation that you had about being a strategic investor or about being a value add investor. I imagine that even once institutional capital come in, that companies will still want to seek out a Tress or a Poseidon or someone along those lines because of the experience that you guys have and the fact that you kind of help shape the beginning of the industry. I'm sure you kind of feel the same way. Otherwise, you wouldn't be wearing that hat. And you probably wouldn't keep going to work every day.
1: That's right, and 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 it goes beyond that, right? And and you mentioned Morgan and, and Emily at Poseidon, uh, or or Cody at at
0: Entourage Effect, and, and others, right? We're here. I know to, you know Matt Norgren for, too. He's a good friend I'm as well.
1: Matt, exactly. We're we're we're. We're all actually. Uh, we just had our draft the other night. It's, it's, it's the coolest thing. What other industry does this? We're we're there's about 16 of us, 16 teams, right? All all the you know value add VCs in the space that that uh, you know we're, we're doing fantasy football. It's great. So you've got like and some companies as well. We've got which is super cool, right? We've got BDS and and, and headset going head to head. And and you. I don't got, know
0: if I'd uh, want to compete against an analytics company <laughs> know, fantasy about football. That.
1: But an unfair advantage, right? But sometimes it's good to have that, to have that advantage. Right. And so, yeah, we, we definitely talk with, with, uh, with most of the value added, uh, and, and active, uh, supporting funds, uh, and investment, uh, firms in the space. And, you know, the point is, is that once institutional capital does come in, yeah, they're, they're going to look to us for, for support, more so, the, the, the operators in the industry need to prepare for that. And that's also, not a lot of people realize, but that's what we do via Trust Solutions. And I know Arcadian does it, Poseidon does it, Entourage does it, Artemis, all these great other funds that do it. It's, it's coaching these operators, both inside and outside of the portfolio, right? on, on how to take advantage of that and how to prepare now Right, it, two, three, four years from now, when the massive, right, institutional investors or players come in and, and want that that true M&A, right, a lot of the M&A right now is happening within the industry, right. Um, yeah. But once the outsiders come in and, and start picking up companies, um, it's too late, right, to start thinking about your governance at that time. It's too late to start thinking about uh, the traction. That, that they're going to be looking for, uh, you know, to acquire, right? You need that now. Now is the time to connect with us, with, with others, and, and really understand um, how, to, how to lay out, um, you know, the strategy for, for taking advantage of, of when that time comes. And it's coming. It's coming soon, especially at with federal legalization or decriminalization or rescheduling. Something is going to happen, right? We know that right? It's, it's bipartisan. Uh, Something is going to happen, whether it happens before the election, whether it happens after the election, something is going to tip and it's going to tip soon. And um, no one has a crystal ball and and we don't know which way it's going to turn. We all have our opinion. Um, But we don't know which way it's going to land. The best thing to do is to prepare for each scenario. And and when it happens, uh, and it is a when, not if, when it happens, you'll be ready. And so it's so important to identify who, you know, whether it's a culture fit, whether for whatever reason, they're, they're, you know, even though we're all great at what we do, um, you know, there are better fits than others when it comes to advisors and investors. Find your fit now. Use this time wisely uh, because it's not too late. It is super early. And whether you're an operator or an investor, I can't express and highlight how critical it is to do so with uh someone like a trust and and and, or others that that really understand uh, where the industry has come where we are today and where we're going and with those advisors you'll 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 do well without those advisors i i I, no promises i mean it, it it's so tough to to really gauge i mean you know so many great companies uh are failing right and so yeah it's not always about the hype, right? It's not who gets the most PR and, and who you're seeing uh, the most of on, on LinkedIn or wherever people are finding their, the, you know, retail investors specifically are, are, are finding their news. Um, you know, they think those are the biggest and best uh, investments to make in cannabis. And, and frankly, there are, I mean, there are some great public companies out there. There are about 300 or so of them. Um, out there listed, and, and some are really doing well right now. But on the private side, it, it's really that's really where we like to play uh, and, and, and offer our support. There are a lot of great operators out there that, with the right support, are going to really thrive and flourish. And um, we're happy to be those advisors for them um, and, and really support them on their rise, right? One thing that's super unique about us, we don't come in and tell you how to run your business, Right. If we didn't like what you were doing, we wouldn't be talking, right? And so we we, we enhance what you are doing already as an operator. Um, and, and a lot of times we'll be able to, to bring in some collaborative options and ideas that, that, that you're just not thinking about because, you know, you are looking, uh, you've got those blinders on as an, as an entrepreneur, as an operator, and so hyper-focused on what you're doing, which is what you should be doing. Um, that there's a need for somebody that has a little bit of a, of a a higher vantage point, if you will, that can help guide and, and, and sort of uh, point out where some, some great collaborative efforts reside right now, especially, um, you know, over this, over 2020, when, when a lot of that's going on.
0: You know, I think that's my favorite part about this industry is the fact that everybody in it is, is so passionate. And I say it on, on every episode, like, listen there are people in this industry just like any other nascent industry that are in here to try to chase the money but i don't want to say it's easy but it's very they're distinctive when you have a conversation with them you can almost tell right like you're not in this for the right reasons you know um you and they're and listen in most other industries that exists a lot you know especially if you were a traditional vc or a private equity group there are people who are really good at something they're not passionate about it just it happens i i've had a job in the past i was really good at something i hated that job i hated that job i did it for 8 years i went every day and i hated it it made me a good amount of money but i didn't want to do it you know but you get into this industry and the problem is is everyone's so passionate so it's like okay, now how do I find the people who are passionate and are also really good at it too? Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's a distinct problem that we have. And that makes me so happy to be here every day. And you want to cheer for everybody because everyone's doing what they love and you want to see them. But I really think when we fast forward, the amount of case studies that are going to come out of the cannabis industry is going to be incredible because you have all these entrepreneurs that are doing their entrepreneurial thing, but with so many hurdles in the way losing bank accounts, losing payment processors, not being able to do e-commerce, not being able to do traditional marketing. And I think you're going to be, I I, I even think that someone like Tress, when this industry starts maturing, the trends that you're going to be able to see come out of this industry, you can apply to any other industry because I think they're going to start following the, the way that we've had to innovate with marketing in this industry alone, I think you're going to start seeing companies across every industry start to rip this off. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong.
1: No, absolutely. And, and, and on the positive side, you know, take lighting as an example. When did you see so much money pour into R and D for ag tech period, yeah. like lighting and, and, and look at the amount of uh, uh, energy reduction we've been able to generate as a result of, of all you know these these LEDs that we're seeing, right? Um, granted there's a little bit of a, a, a more of an outlaying cost up front, but you know again, this is about of course the 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 economic ROI. Uh, but whether you're an operator or an investor, there's more ROI out there to be had. There's where's the impact, right? And and if you are on the wrong side of this, if you're growing indoors and and not using LEDs, not using sustainable practices and, and, and generating, you know, a tremendous amount of waste, you're not helping the problem. You're not helping. Right. Um, And so what we're doing in this industry and and that's inside or outside of cannabis, right. Urban farming is, is, is huge these days. Right. And and if there wasn't as much R and D capital being poured into urban farming techniques and, and technologies, then, um, I don't, I don't think there'd be as much movement as there is today on that side, right? And a lot of that is birthed out of cannabis and cannabis dollars and investment and, and R&D, right?
0: We're, we're like, so a lot of people don't realize a lot of technology comes out of the military and military research. The yeah. Cannabis industry is almost like the military for sustainability. I think a lot of stuff is going to originate here and it's going to permeate throughout the rest of the world. Dude, I can sit here and talk to you forever, but shockingly, we're at an hour already. This uh, tends uh, to happen. <laughs> um, last question. Yep. You've seen a lot. You've experienced a lot in this industry. You know, seven official years on paper. What excites you going forward? You know, what is, what's most exciting to you about the cannabis industry? Which subsector? You know, what are you looking at going forward over the next few years? So I'm
1: really focused on a couple areas. The industrial hemp side, um, we are not making allocations just yet. Um, we are gearing up for that and, and really doing our diligence and, and homework as far as that goes. But I think we have not even, I mean, we're, we're again just scratching the surface uh, as far as the opportunity goes on the industrial hemp side of things. Uh, number one. And number two, on the tech side, I, I think that there are a lot of great companies that are trying to help us understand through an app or, or a different type of product or service um, about what my cannabis consumption, how it's affecting me, uh, and, and physiologically, how it's affecting me. And I just feel that without a, a maybe a wearable or something a little bit more technologically advanced uh, it's it's unattainable in the sense that, especially with cannabis, right? After a good indica, right? It, it's even if it's if it's if it's for me to know for the future, I'm not going to go in and record how I felt and when I felt that way, and it's 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 just yeah. not going to happen. That said, why couldn't an Apple Watch or different type of wearable technology, um, you know? tell me what uh, what my heartbeat looked like after, uh, after I consumed, right? I mean, that's easy. Uh, and then we go from there. Um, but but wearables, I think, in general, are becoming more and more popular, wearable technology. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot of, of tie-ins as far as that goes with cannabis and, and what we're experiencing physiologically, as I said, and uh, that on the hemp side. Um, of course, you know, data continues to be huge and, and – uh, you know, I think we're we're a ways away as far as as scientific breakthroughs are. I that's that's really a very very long play. So it's going to be small increments of success over time. Um, but I think we're going to start seeing some some real cool technology soon. And I I have joked, you know, we we've lost due to COVID. We've sort of lost this uh, this the circle session, you know, where we passed the joint around, but. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a, a vape pen manufacturer that comes out with a vape pen that takes my temperature and, and says, you know, if I pass it, I'm good. I'm clear. COVID free. You can take a hit. Uh, maybe we'll see that. Who knows? And sure enough, about a month later, after I started saying that, I, I saw this company that produced a an, uh, a COVID test that that almost looks like a vape pen. You blow into it. Um, similar to, you know, device that, 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 you know, tested if, if one's impaired or not, uh, from alcohol, you, you blow into it. And it tells you if you've got COVID, well, looks a lot like a vape pen to me. Uh, so you never know, you never know, um, uh, what COVID, uh, you know, up against the wall because of COVID is going to, to create. Um, but certainly on, in, in technology, we're going to see a lot as far as that goes. And then finally, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're, we're, we're truly an, an impact, uh, you know, impact investors and what's what, you know, there are a lot of like-minded, uh, investors out there. There are a lot of operators that, that tout sustainability and impact, which is fantastic. Um, but how are they measuring that? Uh, and, and, and are they measuring it? Right. And so, that's the ROI that we're looking for, especially investing on the private side. Well before any kind of liquidity, you know, distribution. And, and you know, we're, of course, we, we're we're focused on the outsized financial return. That's that's why we do this. Um, but if we could start allocating capital as it relates to how you're measuring your impact, I think that could be something uh, very helpful for our industry. And so, you know, once they the operators understand and, and know, okay, the the capital's there, it's coming in, but we need to do our part as far as governance and, and everything in between, um, then I think we'll all be better off for it. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of that um, certainly on, on you know, from the operator side, just in general, working on our competencies and, and working more towards profitability versus, you know, grow and expand at any cost sort of, you know, you kind of saw where that led, right? Um, I think now with, with a, a stronger focus on uh, on profitability and, and just being a healthy company, and part of that, especially with bringing in investment dollars, is uh, reporting and, and the governance side and, and everything that comes with it, right? Once you bring in VC dollars and outside capital, it, it's not a family business anymore, right? And so... Uh, it, it needs to be run a little bit differently. Usually, a board is introduced at that point, and so there are all these great governance aspects. And just in general, the impact and the ESG aspect to, to investing in cannabis, I think, is going to be highlighted through us and, and some of our, um, you know, collaborating, uh, you know, those collaborating with us in, in the investment community. And that will open doors to a lot, uh, a lot more, uh, you know, investors out there. There are so many impact investors that don't realize that that cannabis is in fact uh you know uh ripe for investment uh if you're an impact investor and uh, i'm hoping to help lead that charge and and open those doors because it's it's really really needed and uh and it absolutely is one of the best uh places to be if you are an impact investor
0: well, I'm hoping some of the impact investors in my LinkedIn network will see this and they'll reach out to you. As far as the cannabis wearables, uh, Whoop, I know you sponsor a lot of podcasts. Just saying, if you wanted to call up and sponsor this one, I'll make an introduction to David. We can talk right. about potentially adding this feature. I don't know, but you know, you should sponsor this co- podcast too, Whoop. We're looking at you. Dude, this has been awesome. I definitely want to have you back. We got to talk industrial hemp. I want to talk about Israel as well. I know you're big there. Um, But we have an hour. I got to put my kid to sleep. So really appreciate it, man. Website, social media, anything else that you want to promote. I know you speak at a lot of conferences. You have anything coming up? Let's let it out now.
1: Yeah, we're, we're going to be at the uh, Global Hemp Day that's coming up uh, September 13th through 15th. And we just talked a lot about industrial hemp and it, just some more insight into um, either for investors where they can invest outside of you know this uh, sexy THC market, not that anything's wrong with that, but just to explore some some, some new areas, uh, it, it'd be a great place to, to check in. And then for operators as well coming into the industry uh, who might not have thought about The hemp side of things, uh, tune in. It's going to be great. A lot of great experts there um, on presenting and then on panels as well. And then ArcView is going to be uh, hosting a pitch conference. And so that's going to be real exciting coming up. Also, we've got the investor hot seat. uh, That's at the uh, end of the month as well. So look for me on LinkedIn. Look at us uh, on our website, trustcapital.com. And of course, uh, for those needing some uh, support with uh, M and A strategy, uh, or even just to look at your deck. Uh, we do that through Trust Solutions, Trust.io. Uh, that's Trust Solutions. And the um, you know, point is, is that whatever side you're on, on the investment side, or operator side, we're here to offer support. Please, please use us. Um, we've got a
0: great track record, and um, you know you won't be disappointed. Awesome, man. Well, I'm actually going to plug, uh, we have the emerge uh, virtual conference coming on. If you guys watched the lab report on Friday, uh, Charles Warner of cannabis and tech today was on that started today. It's been an awesome conference. Yours truly. If you haven't seen enough of me on camera, because you see me every day, almost, um, I'm going to be moderating the Can of beverage panel. It's going to have myself, um, who's on it jake from can is going to be on it duma from province brands up in canada they're a really cool company they're brewing beer directly from the plant itself and then we have uh my good friend cynthia from house of soccer is going to be on that panel so that is at i want to say six o'clock tomorrow folks so go spend the 25 bucks join the conference it's going to be content's going to be available for 90 days so if you're worried you missed today don't worry about it but check that out tomorrow and then right before my my panel, a good friend, Roger Brown from ACS labs is going to be on a panel at five o'clock. So those are two people that you know, well, check it out, David, man. Thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure.
1: Anytime, anytime, Todd. And again, you know, you, you you may not recognize it, but you, you are offering a tremendous amount to our industry and really helping support uh, a lot of people that, that are listening. And, and, and thank you. Thank you for what you do and uh, for cannabis lab and, and for, for, for everybody, um, that's, that's watching right now. And that's going to be listening. Keep it up. Uh, we've, we've got a long way to go. Uh, it, it's, it's not, it's not too late
0: as we mentioned and uh, I look forward to, to speaking and, and meeting all of you. Absolutely, man. Well, next time there's a conference, if that ever happens again, well, actually, I'll stop. We'll talk, we'll hang out. It'll be Definitely. fun. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you everybody at home for watching. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash elevate your grind. Look for live episodes here, facebook.com slash can business group. This has been another episode of elevate your grind. We'll see you next time. All right.